Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. I'm Scott. Uh, such a joy to be here this morning. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your presence in our midst, which we can already sense, Lord. We need you. Every hour we need you. Our one defense, our righteousness, oh God, how we need you. And we need your word this morning. We need your truth, Lord. So open up our hearts to receive it. We pray this in your name. Amen. Um, What's your relationship like with the word obedience? That's the question I want to begin with this morning. What's What's your relationship like with the word obedience? We're all different here, but I'm assuming that for most of you, your relationship with that word is not dreamy. Uh, It's not like warm and fuzzy like it is with the word love. I don't say obedience, and you're like, oh, yes, like the sermon on obedience is here. Um, And culturally, just most folks in our city and, and our nation and I don't know, maybe world, but definitely Madison, definitely America, most people I hang out with, obedience is a tough word. And especially if it's said by a white guy in a collar. So let's just all name the elephant in that room. Uh, a couple of people this morning were like, yikes, man, you're preaching on obedience? We need like a, a fence around you or something. But if that describes where you're at, I want you to know that this sermon is for you. So hang in there with me. If you're freaked out by this, uh, I want to I ask you to hang in there with me because at the end of this, my goal is to maybe have you go, huh, And I know that's a very modest goal to get you at the end of the scriptures to go, huh. Um, But in our day and age, uh, man, if the scriptures can open up that little bit of perspective in us and seeing Jesus in the word obedience, that's a huge win. Because here's the thing, you cannot flourish as a child of God without having a sweet relationship with the word obedience. You can't flourish as a human. You cannot know and abide in the love of God that we've been soaking in the past three weeks, which has been so delicious, without obedience being an integral part of your life. We don't talk about this topic much because we don't like it, because we feel prickly, because when we do avoid it, but we avoid it at our peril. Because when we do avoid it, we stunt our growth as children of God and we open wide the way to destruction. So we want to talk about it. We're in a series on love and obedience. Uh, If you're just visiting us this morning, we've been thinking about how God is calling us deeper as a church community more than anything else. This is the second year of our church plant, calling us deeper into a passionate love for God and an experience of his love and of him gripping our will in a new and beautiful way. And we've been talking about love and now we're talking about obedience because love and obedience are married in the Bible and in the life of Christ, which we're gonna look at, they're joined at the hip. And that means we cannot deepen in the love of God without deepening in our relationship and in our love for obedience. You can't taste love without growing in your appetite and a palate for obedience of God. Listen to this beautiful quote. A stronger desire to do the will of the Father is surely the best thing God himself can kindle in the heart of any man or woman. 
For what good is there in creation but the possibility of being yet further created? And what else is growth but more of the will of God? Isn't that beautiful? That's George MacDonald. He's a crazy, brilliant Christian writer in the 19th century. I'm just going to read that one more time. A stronger desire to do the will of the Father is surely the best thing God himself can kindle in the heart of any man or woman. For what good is there in creation but the possibility of being yet further created? And what else is growth but more, a larger portion of the will of God? So we could go about this in a number of ways, thinking about obedience. We could do the kind of the philosophical approach of trying to show that even sociologically, if you scorn obedience in your life, it's corrosive to your family, your own life, your country, your culture. And I think we could do that, but I'm not the guy to do that, and we're not going to do that this morning. We could look at all the commandments and say, well, here's every single one of them that we're supposed to follow and all those things. But I don't think either of those approaches would serve. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to make a straight beeline to Jesus. I want us to begin by opening up his life, which was utterly defined by obedience, so that we can see what its flavor was, why he obeyed, what its effect was in his life, how he thought about obedience, And ultimately, I'm hoping that for those of us who are suspicious, which is most of us, nobody has a perfect relationship with obedience, but that most of us, when we see Jesus in his life, it'd be attractive. Maybe it could start to reshape the way that we think about it. Does this sound good? So uh, you don't always have to do this, but I tend to have three-point sermons. Today, we've got five points, okay? Uh, They're going to be shorter. They're going to be shorter. But there are five, and it's all about Jesus' obedience. So when you look at the, the life of Christ, here are what defines his relationship with the word obedience. Number one, Jesus' obedience and love were intertwined. Number one, Jesus' obedience and love were intertwined. Flip with me to your gospel reading. For some reason, I have this in mind. I feel like it's, it's wrong. But the very end of your gospel reading is, is chapter 14, verse 31. Is that correct? Read that with me. This is one of those verses that you just need to, like, sit with for a couple years. Like, what in the world? It's amazing. Here's what Jesus says. I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus is saying, I obey because I love. And notice he's actually saying, I obey so that others will know that I love the Father. And of course, we've talked about how Jesus obeys because he's loved, right? Remember what what the Father says from the heavens at Jesus' baptism? It's just a massive love fest. The Father says, this is the son that I love. I'm so pleased with him. We learn elsewhere that in John that Jesus has been receiving the Father's love and affirmation eternally before the foundation of the world. So Jesus obeys because he loves the Father and because he has been loved by the Father. So therefore, his obedience is an expression of and a response to love. And it's the same for us. Let me just read some scriptures that combine love and obedience, okay? And I'm going to read a few, and you're not going to catch everything I'm saying or everything in the scriptures, but I want you to hear the consistency 
and the clarity with, so sit back and kind of relax and dance and marries them. These are really, really beautiful. So sit back and kind of relax and open up your ears. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear isn't mine, but the Father's who sent me. John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And then he's going to answer the question that you have, which is how do you do that? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 1 John 2, 3. And by this, that we, by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth isn't in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God is truly perfected. Do you remember last week, if you were here, we talked about how 1 John says, when you love one another, the love of God is completed in you. It finds its home in you. It's like it comes to roost. The only other time that language is used in 1 John is about obedience. So it's saying obedience itself is another way. It's like a switch to the love of God. Last one, 1 John 5, 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Do you hear how everything is so woven together? If you thought of the love of God and the love of Jesus for the Father and the love of the Father for Jesus and God's love for us and our love for God and our obedience and Jesus' obedience all as different colored threads, you've got to imagine that they're weaving this beautiful tapestry and then if you tried to take any one and like untie it and untangle it and get in there, you would never be able to. Do you see how everything is so tied together? It is all woven into this beautiful, beautiful picture. Obedience without love is slavery. Amen? If you've been a Christian for a long time and being a Christian feels like slavery, you don't have the right relationship with the word love or the word obedience. Love without obedience is a mockery. First John says it's not true. When you look at the, the life of Jesus, we don't see either one of those things. And hallelujah, we're not called to either one of those things. Amen? We're called to love like Jesus and be loved like Jesus and have a life of beautiful obedience like Jesus, which is tied to love. And again, to say the same point over, that means you can't deepen in the love of God without deepening in obedience. It means all the amazing things we discussed over the past weeks manifest themselves in obedience. So if you're drawn to the idea of love, which I'm assuming you are, but obedience is like ugh, uh, weird kind of gag reflex at that. I wanna encourage you to let obedience be colored 
and complemented by love, like two colors that are next to each other. And it goes the other way around. Let love be colored and complemented by the word obedience. That's what they were in the life of Christ. That's number one. Jesus' love and obedience are intertwined. Number two, Jesus' obedience was total. Jesus' obedience was total. When you look at Jesus' life, we don't see a person who mainly did what they wanted and then said, well, I'll do these couple things because I obey the Father. No, we see a person whose obedience was counterculturally, shockingly total. And what's nuts is he made sure everybody around him knew how total his obedience was. So John 5, 19, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And I love this, just in case you were like, well, that sounds like slavery, Jesus. You're being oppressed. He goes on to say, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he's doing. John 8, 28, Jesus again, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am he. He's talking about the cross. That I do nothing on my own authority. Nothing. He goes on, but speak just as the Father taught me. And again, lest you think, well, that sounds like oppressive servitude there, Jesus. He goes on to say, and he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Again, I just love the relationship between Jesus and the Father. The Father says, I love you. I'm pleased with you. Jesus says, I love you. I love to please you. So what areas of, of Jesus' life did obedience cover? Every area, right? And just in case this is not abstract, here's what this meant. His mind, his body, his sexuality, his time, relationships, his goals and his ambitions, his money, his work, his relationships, his goals and his ambitions, everything in his life was dictated by a life of obedience and love. And if it covered every area of his life, it's the same for us, right? It's easy to, to and again, I'm, I'm with you on this, it's easy to, oh, when we think about the lordship of Jesus kind of coming to bear in our life, but when you look at what that looked like for Jesus, when you look at his life of total obedience and how proud he was of it, and the fruit it bore in his life, to me at least, just speaking personally, I'm attracted to it. It's a vision that I actually want. I'm like, give me whatever you're serving. And just so it's clear, for Jesus, the compass, the treasury of commandments that he was gleaning from, like where was all this obedience coming from? Of course, it was from his inner relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, but it was coming from the Word of God. Jesus actually obeyed the Scriptures. This is a unique thing to think about. And it's the same for us. We obey what the Scriptures teach, full stop, because that's what Jesus did. And here's a cool thing to think about. You and I are not asked to obey anything more or anything less than Jesus did. Jesus lived a life of obedience for an example to us. So that's number two. Jesus' obedience was total. Number three, Jesus' obedience was a joy. And this is where it gets good. Jesus' obedience was a joy. Listen to John 15 again. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. What? Abide in my love. 
if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. And he's going to say, which is exactly what I've done, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then listen to this. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Um, That's a famous verse talking about our joy being made full. But we don't often catch is that Jesus is saying just as his joy is overflowing. Jesus is talking about his own life of joy. So Jesus' obedience isn't just a response to love like, well, I'll do all these things, Father, because I love you even though I don't want to. No, it's an overflow of joy. When you see someone who's in forced obedience or legalism, you see fear and anxiety, right? Um, John is, is the writer who wrote both First John and John, which we're really pulling heavily from where these themes come out of. And the polar opposite of love in his writings is always what? Fear. And what does perfect love do? Cast out fear. So when you see somebody who is a slave or being oppressed, you'll see anxiety and fear and all those things coming out. And it's easy when folks look at Christians uh, to look at followers in Jesus and thinks, oh man, you guys are so repressed and oppressed. And this is so sad. You're living this like servile lifestyle. Um, I remember once at a previous job, I was hanging out with a buddy of mine who was not a person of faith. And yet he knew that I was a person who was like training to become a pastor and a priest, which he thought was hilarious. And we started talking about religion one time. And he said, to quote, he said, that's weakness. I don't need to be told how to live my life. I was sitting right next to him, and that was a deep, deep cut at me. That was an insult. And on my way home, I thought of like a million amazing things to say, you know, like to vindicate Jesus and like get back and I'm like, how about this? Like, but I thought of none of them at the time. I just sat there and was like, just took the blow. But think about the charge from my friend. How could you answer that? I had to think about that a while. Am I weak? Do I have to be told what to do? Are we repressed because we believe in total obedience like Jesus? The answer is no. It's not. It's interesting. Think about this. The devil's deception is always that if we obey, we're slaves. And Jesus' truth is that if you don't obey, you're a slave. This is the kicker. Think about Adam and Eve, the primal moment of commandment and temptation and loss or obedience. They were given everything. They had utter freedom. While at the same time, God gave them commands. This is so good for you. Do all the things. Go for it. This is not good for you. Don't do that. And the deception of the serpent in Genesis 3 is essentially to shade obedience in their minds. God is repressing you. He's withholding from you. You've got a right. He just doesn't want you to get out of your little box. There's a reason that the central deception of the fall of humanity is about obedience. Satan wants to attack your obedience muscle because if he can shade your obedience muscle, what else does he get? What's married to obedience? Love. 
which means if he can break you on obedience and get you to reject that, he's getting you to reject the love of God. First Adam and Eve eat the apple, then their sons kill each other. Even it comes into the way they love one another because all those things are connected. Switching off the circuit. So the devil wants you to think that utter obedience is utter slavery, but Jesus wants you to think the opposite. Amen? That it's pure freedom. And I know that sounds like a paradox, but listen to this from John 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, and again, at this point, you should be thinking whenever you hear abide in my word as like love and obedience language. If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. He's using his words very clearly. The slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The son or the daughter does. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. For Jesus, obedience was not joyless servitude or slavery. It didn't feel like that. It didn't look like that. It didn't taste like that for him. Obedience made his joy full, meaning my cup is overflowing and it brought freedom. And I love how when you look at Jesus and his life of obedience, you don't see slavery. What you see instead is that Jesus is free from all the things that enslave us. Think of every leader ever. We are in an era of leaders failing at a rapid and awful and very public rate, right? Think of all the trappings that get people. Don't you just love how you just walk to him? Why? Through all those things. Money, sex, power, none of it clings to him. Why? Because he only does what the Father has told him to do. He loves to obey. So nothing can enslave him. That's freedom. If you have ever suffered with addiction, you know what I'm talking about. It was utter freedom. So listen, I'm not sure what area it is in your life right now, but I'm assuming, because I know it's true in my life, that there will be somewhere that the devil is trying to whisper to you. Let the Holy Spirit move in your heart right now. Somewhere. The devil is trying to whisper to you that some type of obedience is actually slavery. It's not. And the only way that you can fight that is by letting Jesus crush the serpent. Amen? Jesus' obedience has to be what teaches you that is death. Obedience is actually going to make my joy overflow like a waterfall. Number three, Jesus' obedience was a joy. Number four, Jesus' obedience was hard. Oh, man. Jesus' obedience was hard. Just because Jesus was fully obedient and it was intertwined with love and it brought the joy of freedom did not mean it was easy. Not his obedience cost him, right? It set him against the ruler of this world the forces of darkness, he suffered for it. Flip with me to your Hebrews reading real quick. Some of you might know this passage is famous. If you're not familiar with the Bible, don't worry about the word Melchizedek. We can talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> look at verse 8. This is talking about Jesus' relationship with the Father and his life. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. 
He learned obedience through what he suffered. Philippians would add on to it with this, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For Jesus, obedience meant laying down his life. All those times in the gospels when he's saying, I know what I'm doing, I know what I have to do, I'm obedient, he knew he was coming to offer his life for the life of the world. Hallelujah. But he was in the garden and he was tempted because that was hard. If you know about Jesus' story, the night before he dies, he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he prays, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Another way to understand that is Jesus is saying, what you've asked me to do is really, really hard and gonna be so painful. Is there any other way for me to do anything else? And yet, the example of Jesus, the snake crusher, who didn't ultimately listen to the serpent like Adam and Eve did, prays then, not my will, but yours be done. Which, by the way, why, in a second, all of us, do you know this is what you're saying? When we say the Lord's Prayer, are gonna pray that. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We're saying, I want to follow Jesus and loving the will of God. If, if obedience was hard for Jesus, it's going to be hard for us. It'll set you against the rulers of the world. Um, it'll cost you. You'll be asked to do things that are hard. You'll be asked to live a life that will get you made fun of. Like me, sitting with my friend, he's like, you're weak. But just because something's hard doesn't mean it's not good. Amen? I think we struggle a lot of times right now in our culture equating difficulty with oppression. It's not. Good things can be really hard, and for Jesus, obedience was hard, and we have to get that, because otherwise, what happens is you'll say, okay, I want to follow Jesus. I want to taste his love, and then you'll be asked to do something that's hard, and then you'll think, this is wrong. God's left me. I'm messing this up. If I was doing this all right, it would be perfect. The example of Jesus teaches us that obedience can be hard, but it doesn't mean it's not good. Number five, last point. Jesus' obedience saved the world. Jesus' obedience saved the world. Look back at Hebrews 5 with me. Verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. You notice that perfect, perfected language there? Everything came home to roost in him. And then because of his obedience, eternal salvation was offered to all the world. It's because of Jesus' life and total obedience to the Father that we now have hope. That's the only reason we're here. It's because of his obedience that the world is being recreated and reconciled to God. Amen. Think about this. Throughout all of history, the person who most influenced and changed and blessed the world was the person who was most obedient to the will of the Father. Or whatever, Jesus was the, not the person with the most ambition or the most skill or whatever. Jesus was the most obedient. And if it's true for Jesus, it's true for us. Christians are proud of Jesus. You know why, what I wish I would have said to my friend? I'm proud of obedience because I'm proud of Jesus. I would talk about how Jesus wasn't weak. Jesus wasn't sad. I would do what I'm doing right now, but I've had a lot of time to think about this. I didn't have a lot of time to think about that. We're proud of obedience because we're so proud of Jesus. 
That's what sweetens, mm, gives us a palate for that. And when we deepen in obedience, the same thing happens that happened in Jesus. It transforms the world. Not only will you start to be recreated, but it's going to start trickling in to your life and your family and your work, your school. It starts recreating everything around you. Um, when someone's faithful and obedient, it has a chain reaction, right? It has consequences, just like a disobedience has consequences. And it wasn't until my 20s that I realized, kind of with a wave of emotion, that God was good to me and had blessed me for a lot of reasons, but I realized that I was inheriting faithfulness and goodness from God because God loved my parents. And because my parents were faithful and they loved God and their love was wrapped up in obedience. And I was overwhelmed. I couldn't even taste it until I was in my late 20s and then I realized I'm being blessed because of my parents' faithfulness and obedience to God. So obedience isn't a test, okay? This is, if you're like brand new to Christianity, you're not even a Christian, you're here this morning, or if you're an old school Christian, whatever that is, <laughs> obedience is not a test that like God's just keeping score and like we get certain merits when we get to heaven. Like we get to heaven like, okay, you got an F, you were a B minus, you know. It has nothing to do with that. Obedience is consequential. It has effects. It causes things to change. And God wants your obedience because he loves you and he wants to bless you. He wants to recreate you and transform you and the world. I love how in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses says to the people, do all these commandments for they will be your wisdom when you go into the new land. Uh, Moses says, you're going to get there and all these people are going to look at you and go, who is so amazing? What, what God is this that these people have this, these amazingly wise commandments? And Jesus himself says, I do what the Father tells me. I love to do what the Father tells me because I know that his commandment is eternal life. So he's saying it's a beautiful thing. It, it's a blessing. It transforms the world. Again, a stronger desire to do the will of the Father is surely the best thing God himself can kindle in the heart of any man or woman. For what good is there in creation but the possibility of being yet further created? And what else is growth but more of the will of God? So to come full circle, I know the word obedience has baggage. I'm not expecting you to like, you know, rejoice and like do one of those like painted calligraphy things in your kitchen of the word obedience next to like joy and laughter. But at least let's think about this. What characterized it for Jesus to review? Probably not what you have in your mind. Jesus' obedience and love were intertwined. They were one. They both influenced the other. Jesus' obedience was total, like crazily, like intensely total. Jesus' obedience was a joy. He loved it. It wasn't slavery. It was freedom. Jesus' obedience was hard. It wasn't easy. Not everything he did, even though it blessed him, was an easy decision for Jesus, even Jesus. And finally, Jesus' obedience saved the world. It was transformative. So if you're suspicious, maybe, maybe there's just a huh in the back of your mind. And I want you to know that that huh, maybe it's like the cracking open of a door in your heart of hearts, is a place that I would encourage you to continue to walk. 
The further you go down road, the further you will be recreated. What's the glory of creation but the possibility of being yet further created? We want to do that. Again, coming back to the, the point of this series, just felt like really massively as we've grown, we can't go any further like building a better this ministry or that ministry or getting like even cooler green mugs or like a, a drum set or like more people on staff. All of that is for not if we are not deepening in the love of God and if we're not deepening in this. Amen? Sweetening our palate for the will of God is, is something that God is calling us to. We talked about how amazing it is that the, the first thing God's calling you to is love. And that's totally true. But it just, it, it comes with obedience. And what a cool thing to think about maybe as a community for us. When we think about the next year and you're like, what are my goals for this year? My hunch is for most of us, it's never been, my goal is to live the most full, joyful, free life of obedience in God I've ever done before. I want to I wanna plumb the depths of God's commandments and see their riches and their treasures, which, by the way, is how people in the Old Testament talk about God's commandments. They're like jewels. They're things you want to collect. I think that's what God is calling us to. He's giving us a taste for that. Because, this is one of my favorite things my dad always used to say, spiritual maturity is not based on knowledge, it's based on obedience. Let me say that again. Spiritual maturity is not based on knowledge, it's based on obedience. Jesus backs this up. So just as a little final illustration, in my 20s, um, I think it's still true for me now, but I think particularly in my 20s, you're at a, I was at a stage where I'm looking for people to emulate. And I love books, and I love reading, and the Bible and stuff, so I love really smart people. And there was a lot of really, really smart PhD-type people in my life who were brilliant and knew way more than me and will always know more than me, but their life was not matched with obedience to the Word. They might have even known the Word, but it wasn't manifested in obedience, and some of them were spiritually immature. Also, there was a lot of people I loved. I'm a musician and an artist, and a lot of people I loved were artists and were super culturally conversant and super cool, and I was just like, you know, intimidated by their social capital. But also, it wasn't manifested in a life of obedience. And I think it stunted their growth. And one time, I, I spent a summer in India, and I met with this Kiwi guy named Trevor, who was a sheep farmer in New Zealand, and I can't do a New Zealand accent, so I'm not gonna try. But he was working in leper colonies in India, and he was like, I'm not smart, I'm not successful, like my sheep farming was kind of a bust, like, but he loved God, and he, kind of, he lived like Jesus. It was one of the few people I've ever met that it was just like, I'm Jesus. I remember one time he took out his wallet, and in his awesome Kiwi accent goes, this is the Lord's, it's not mine. So I do with it whatever he wants me to, and threw it on the table. He's like, find me any Bible verse that says that's not true. I was shocked. And in all his, what he would say, he wasn't intelligent or other things, which I don't think is that true, this guy was a titan. He was so deeply mature and so deeply grounded, it was attractive to me. Above all the other people, I was like, I want what you got. Sign me up on your list, Trevor the Sheep Farmer in Leper Colonies. So this is my, my prayer for us. Um, People would have that sense when they come to our church. This can happen in a group of people. It doesn't just happen individually. This could happen to all of us at one time that we're like, oh, we, 
we want more of that. And then maybe, just maybe, people in our life, people in your neighborhood, people who are at the farmer's market but then come to the bathroom and then maybe walk into church on the sly might go, huh. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.